All right, let's take our Bible tonight. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 11. 1 Samuel chapter 11. We'll be back in Ecclesiastes next, next Wednesday. Uh, but tonight I want to do a study on um, this passage of Scripture. And I um, actually read it devotionally this morning and, and uh, reading it afresh uh, once again. I uh, saw several things, several truths that I think are good for us to glean from this account with Hannah. And uh, so we're looking at 1 Samuel 1, verse 1 through 11, and we'll look a little bit at some of the rest of the chapter too, but I've titled the message, um, the lesson, Turning Burdens into Prayers, Turning Burdens into Prayers. And so let's read our text, and then we'll, we'll expound some things from it that I pray would bless us. There was a certain man of Ramathiam Zophim of the hill a country of Ephraim, whose, na- whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord. On the, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son... Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. We see a a woman with great burdens in this passage of Scripture, and that really brought to my mind the reality of burdens in our own life. Now, I I would imagine that every single one of us have certain burdens that we carry, we've experienced in life. A burden is something that is heavy on your heart. It's something that may make you anxious, make you worrisome something that maybe upsets you, something that maybe makes you very sorrowful. We all have them. We experience burdens about various things. We experience them about our health, about money and finance, about jobs, our family, maybe even church. Uh, burdens are, come to us in various, various ways. And uh, we are a people, we're prone to be burdened about things, aren't we? Sometimes it doesn't take much to burden us. We are naturally inclined to being worrisome, to being anxious uh, due to our fallen flesh and the result of really this sin-cursed world. And in this passage of Scripture, we see a particular woman who has a major burden on her heart, and this woman's name is Hannah. Say, well, who is Hannah? Well, I found it interesting that the name Hannah, it refers to or means gratuitous gift. Uh, It could also refer to grace or mercy, being gracious having favor bestowed. Um, And so I think you'll see that really the meaning of her name kind of coincides with how the story goes about Hannah. 
but we think about Hannah. We don't hear a whole lot about this woman named Hannah. But she is one of the most godly women we read about in the Old Testament. She has a wonderful testimony here. She is a woman here of faith, as you'll see. And she is the only woman we find who willfully makes a vow and then fulfills it to the Lord. We find she's also uh, a very prominent in the Old Testament because of her prayer. It's among one of the longest recorded prayers in the Old Testament. If you look at chapter 2, it's a very rich uh, prayer that really reveals a lot of theology about God and who He is and what He does and the praise that He's worthy of. Uh, and so there isn't, um, that's not to say there's not other women who are like Hannah, but Scripture points her out, records her story, records a little bit about her for uh, our benefit. And so what we learn with Hannah is that she's an example for all of us, especially regarding burdens that face us in life and faith in the God who can handle those things. And so I want you to see from this text that having a burden, having burdens, does not mean you're a displeasing Christian. Understand that. It's not sin to have a burden. Hannah was a very spiritual and godly woman, but yet she's greatly burdened by something that troubles her. I think that the important thing here is how she handles that burden, what she does with that burden, how she responds with it. So how did Hannah handle her burden, and what do we learn about it for ourselves? Notice with me in our notes here tonight, I'll point out a few things from our text, mainly in verse point one and 2, and then the last one will kind of be the conclusion of it all. Uh, but notice with the cause of Hannah's burden. What's the cause of Hannah's burden? Because to every burden, there is a cause behind it. There's a reason for it, right? Well, her burden really is twofold, and it's compounded upon each other. The first aspect of her burden is her desire for children. Her desire for children is firstly what burdens her. This is the foundation, the root of her burden. Now, the book of 1 Samuel opens up by giving us a little background to Hannah's life. We learn of her husband in verse 1, a man named Elkanah. And in verse 2, we find more detail about this family. We learn that Elkanah had two wives. And Hannah is the first wife mentioned, and the name of the other is Panina. Now, between these two wives, there's a major difference between them. Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. You say, well, what's the big deal about one having children and the other not having children? Well... Many families today, some have children, some don't. Some do so by choice, some by circumstance or what, not being able to have children. But especially when you look back in Old Testament times, uh, in the days of Israel, in most ancient times, to not have children was viewed in a very negative way, a very negative light, uh, especially as an Israelite who knew that God's command was to procreate and to bear children. This is a command we see in the very beginning, right? God created Adam and Eve, and He told man in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God blessed them, and He said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, have lots of babies and fill the earth with people, right? Well, time came along when man did fill the earth. Man was evil. And what did God do with that world of people? He brought destruction on it because it was so wicked. Genesis chapter 6, He called out Noah. And he's going to bring a flood. But after God flooded the world, what did God tell Noah? He told him the same command. Verse, chapter 9, verse 1 of Genesis. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so 
procreation is a very important element to human life. It's very important in the Israelite, Israelite culture, and it should be in every culture. Uh, we live in a culture of death. How do you say that? Where do you glean that from? Because there's many babies that are aborted and killed in the womb. Uh, it's a sad, tragic reality that we should pray for its uh, abolition, that it's put away. Uh, but we, we look at what God's design is for humanity. So the, the Israelites, they held childbearing in a very high regard. And, and if a woman could not have children, it was viewed almost as a curse in that family, sadly. We read of several in their history who were barren at one point. Women like Sarah, like Rachel, like uh, Manoah. We see Hannah here. And then even on into the New Testament, we see Elizabeth was another woman who was barren, who conceived in old age by God's providence. So when we think about this, it hurt them deeply to be unable to conceive. You remember the words of Jacob, or excuse me, of Rachel to Jacob when Leah and others were giving Jacob children, but Rachel was not able. Listen to her response here, what she told him. In Genesis 30 and verse 1, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. That, that's how heavy this weighed upon women in the Old Testament. Give me children or else I die. You see, Rachel was so distraught about this that she blamed Jacob in a sense, even though it was her barrenness, not his. And when we look at Elkanah's life, it is most likely that he married Penina because Hannah was barren. Because not only was childbearing important to the woman, it was also important to the man because of having an heir in that culture. Being able to pass on your inheritance and have your name continue on into the Israelite lineage. So Elkanah seems to be someone who's put together. He's faithful to go worship the Lord. He, he has uh, provision for his, his family. And, and so lacking an heir was a major problem in the ancient Near East. And you'll see that in other societies as well. And uh, we see that taking on a second wife in that ancient day was, was one way to solve the problem in their mind, in a sense. Uh, so we remember Sarah, example. She, you know, she was wanting to bear a child for Abraham, and she couldn't. She was barren, and what she tell Abraham? Well, how about you have a child, have an heir through uh, my maid, and then that'll be your heir. But we know God would promise it would come through Sarah later on, right? But here's what I want you to consider. Consider Hannah in this situation. Bearing children was part of a woman's identity. It was part of fulfilling what she believed to be her purpose in life, all right? So imagine being in her shoes somehow, all right, that you're unable to feel, fulfill your purpose that you know you're supposed to fulfill in life. Imagine having an, an identity struggle because of something that is out of your control. The hurt of her barrenness seemed to be reignited on several occasions. Not only does she know it, but it seems to come up over and over again as you look at our text. And notice, notice in verse 3 what we read. We read that year by year, this family, Elkanah and Penina and Hannah and their, the children of Penina, they would come to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. So according to the Old Testament law, there were several occasions when Jewish families would travel to wherever the tabernacle was. And Shiloh was one of those places. They'd go there, they'd offer sacrifice, and they would worship the Lord together and in the visit to God's house for sacrifice, you notice in verse 4 through 5 that Elkanah, 
he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Now, what are these portions? These portions are really the meat from the offering that was sacrificed. They're what's come from the sacrifice, that they would have a feast to the Lord. The husband would distribute the amount of that portion to the wife according to her number of children. According to the number of children. Now, this is why you see this is important regarding Hannah. So, Penina got her portions to her and her children. Then we read that Hannah got a double portion. Now, we see this double portion. What does that mean, a double portion? It means she got more than really what she needed. Now, that may seem like a nice gesture, but at the same time, think about how this might affect Hannah each time she received it. Each time she received a double portion, it would give her more than enough to eat, only to remind her that she does not have children to share it with. So every time they went to sacrifice and he gave the portions, she would be reminded that she's unable to have children. This is why. But we do know that Elkanah, he's a godly man. He loves her despite this. It's the reason he's blessing her with this double portion. He loves her despite this. And so you can imagine maybe the emotional hurt and, and the burden that she's bearing in her own mind and heart. Now, this burden of bearing children as an Israelite woman was personal and specific to Hannah. But her burden is most likely not identical to the ones that we experience. I've never had the burden of not being able to have children because God didn't make me to have children, right? Contrary to popular opinion in our culture, men can't have babies. Amen? Men don't get pregnant. Only women are blessed with that burden, blessed with that privilege, really. But we think about what burdens us maybe in our own life because the, the, the principle here is, that, is how Hannah deals with this and the reality of human life even as a Christian. We all have burdens. Perhaps it's a person. Perhaps it's a desire. Maybe it's a hurt or a need or a sorrow. It could be something that's physical. Maybe it's health-related. Maybe it's financial or money-related. Maybe it's marital and relational in our life. Burdens affect us in many ways, as we see with Hannah. But her burden is only intensified as this narrative continues. And here's where we see this, see this progress even further. Notice with me letter B, not only do we see her desire for children burdens her, but her disdain from an adversary burdens her. It's bad enough that she can't have babies, but now there's something on top of that that compounds the burden. And we see that in verse 6. We read, and her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, at first glance, you just read that verse and you think, doesn't that just sound so childish? <laughs> sounds so childish, intentionally trying to provoke another. I mean, I watch my kids do this all the time. One of them gets something and the other didn't get it, and guess what the one who got it does? They immediately go to the one who didn't get it and they say, hey, look what I got and you don't have. <laughs> and then vice versa. The entire intention of doing that is for one purpose, to irritate the other one, to irritate the other one. That's how kids operate. That's how brothers and sisters, they love to irritate each other, each other when they're children and even maybe when they're adults too. How do you know that? Because I love to still irritate my sister. <laughs> and maybe you do too. I do so out of playfulness, not to make her mad or anything or or, uh, you know, cause a division in our relationship, but we still like to aggravate each other here and there just as a playful way of fellowship. But 
look at this. This is what Panina is doing. She's acting as a rival or an adversary to, to Hannah. Why is she doing this? Here's her, here's her reason. To provoke her grievously. To provoke her gr- grievously. There's no playful, playful uh, aggravating here. To provoke her grievously. She is capitalizing on Hannah's infertility to irritate her. The reason is because the Lord had closed her womb. She is full of pride and arrogance, rubbing in the fact that she has children and Hannah doesn't. Notice how long this taunting takes place. In verse 7, what do we read? This went on year by year. We're not told the number of years, but we know that it's a long period of time. Year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. It's really pathetic to see how taunting Panina is. But understand that it brings great pain upon Hannah. It compounds the burden upon Hannah. And notice its effect on her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. You ever been so burdened about something, so anxious about something, that it really just took away your appetite altogether? Didn't even want to eat because of it? We've probably all been there. You see, this provoking was far more than silly siblings aggravating each other. This is just downright cruel. And here's what I want to point out to you, is that the root of this action in Panina was evil, fleshly, and devilish. You know, the same thing happens to us often when we have burdens that are serious burdens. We also have an adversary that seeks to make us grievously irritated in various ways. Now, Peter wrote to the Christians who were suffering persecution. You think they were burdened in any way? Absolutely they were. He wrote to them in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, our adversary, the devil, understand this, Christian, he loves it when we're anxious and burdened about things. He loves that. He rejoices in that. He wants that. He loves to devour our thoughts that in turn disrupt our lives and distract our attention away from Christ onto things that weigh us down. That's his whole point, is to keep us from being who we are meant to be in Christ. That's his point for the persecuted Christian. That's his point for Hannah. That's his point for you. Satan is a vicious lion. He's not some friendly little kitty cat here. I'm going to scratch you a little bit. He's a lion, a vicious one. And he has one intention, and Peter names it. He says his intention is to devour you, not just hurt you a little bit. He would love to devour the life of the Christian. And here's how he works. When you're burdened about something, maybe it's something that's important that you're burdened about. Maybe you're burdened about... Uh, someone you care about or a situation you're going through or, or whatever it is, he loves to compound that the same way Panina does. He's the kind of entity that kicks you when you're down, stomps on you when you're down. He enjoys it when God's people fall prey to heavy burdens and anxieties of life. He may do this by, by infiltrating our thoughts or by using even another person just like Panina. Sometimes he uses people to compound that on top of what you're already experiencing. 
He used Penina against Hannah. And then we see someone else come in, her husband. In verse 8, he kind of sees Hannah's, Hannah's burden. And now understand, Elkanah here, I think he has pure motives, but he doesn't really realize how he's affecting Hannah here. He basically comes down to her and says, Am I not worth more to you than ten sons? Am I not worth more than you more to you than ten sons? I mean, have you ever been with your spouse and you just you, you say the wrong thing at the wrong time and it's really just not the right thing you should have said? I mean, if Bethany's something, Bethany's worried about something, or if I'm worried about something, you know, the natural response is, well, just don't worry about it. Gee, thanks. <laughs> that that's really helpful, right? That's not the answer. So sometimes you say things that just really they're not really the solution. It's better sometimes I say anything at all. But Elkanah here, I think he has pure motive and intention, but what he says here really isn't helpful. Aren't I better to you than ten sons? Really elevating himself, right? His intentions, I think, were pure. But he lacked understanding and the right way of consoling her. Now, I want you to consider Hannah in this moment. Hannah must be wondering, why is this happening to me? Why am I the one that can't bear children? Am I cursed? Did I do something to deserve this cruel treatment, this cruel reality? And this is the vital point I want you to see regarding Hannah's burden. It's in verse 5. Who is responsible for her barrenness? The Lord. Not Hannah. Not even the devil. The Bible says the Lord closed up her womb. You know, the theme of the conference I just came from was the sovereignty of God. And I know we're real accustomed to that, aren't we? <laughs> uh, it's an undergirding theme here because it's the undergirding theme of Scripture. But what this points out to us is that God's providence governs even our burdens. Even these things that hurt us, even these things that, that, that we are concerned about, that we are anxious about, Her barrenness was not an accident. It was not a coincidence. It was of the Lord. And here we must see the hand of divine providence in all things, including our burdens and the seasons of life in which we are burdened. Here's what the psalmist says, and this is one thing we'd be good to take to heart in Psalm 119.75. Listen to this. He says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have prospered me. I didn't read that right. Just make sure you're awake. He says, in faithfulness you have what? Afflicted me. How often do we think of our afflictions as God's faithfulness to us? That's not really our first inclination to think that way, is it? But it's true. God in His faithfulness afflicts us. It is through faithfulness that He afflicts us and allows and ordains our burdens and the things that we experience, our trials, by His providential hand for His purposes that will work for something greater in the end. And that's what we see through Hannah in the big story of this, big big picture of this. Which brings me to number two. Number two tonight, we see the cause of Hannah's burden. It's pretty plain. She can't bear children and Penina... The adversary is just compounding that pain on her. But notice with me the comfort for Hannah's burden, the comfort to Hannah's burden. And here's two things I want to point out about Hannah and really her response through this is that she gave it her burden. She brought it or gave it, you could say it either way, to God's power through prayer. 
That's, that's her response, is prayer. In her infertility and sorrow, where does she turn? So now, unlike other women of the past, we, we mentioned this a moment ago. You remember Sarah and her barrenness, Genesis 16, 2, when she realized she couldn't have kids. She didn't say, Abraham, well, let's wait on the Lord or let's see what God's going to do. Because God had already told Abraham that he's going to have an heir, right? So what does she say? You take my servant girl and marry her and have an heir through her. That was Sarah's devised plan. How good did that turn out in the big picture? Didn't turn out real well, did it? Caused a lot of family problems and then problems for Israel down the line anyway from their descendants, right? Now, here's one thing you can learn from that. Whenever you try to fix your problems and your power, your ideas and your will, there's a good chance you're going to mess it up. <laughs> you're not going to fix it. Our, we, we only make things worse when we try to do things the opposite way than God's way. That's what Sarah did. She does the opposite of what we should do with our burdens. Here's what we should do. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Our natural inclination, inclination here is to lean our, our, on our understanding instead of trusting the Lord first. Oftentimes we do that and then we learn the hard way we should have trusted the Lord instead of done our own thing. But here's what, this is what Hannah does. She lives out Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Hannah shows us what to do with our burdens in verse 9 through, 9 through 11. We see in verse 9, the Bible says, After they'd eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah arose. Now Eli the priest was sitting at the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And wept bitterly. Now you'll notice this. She's up, she's in the area close to the tabernacle. Well, Eli's there watching her, and she sees and under, he understands. But she prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly, and she was deeply distressed. Have you ever been in a point where you have just poured out your heart to God with tears running down your face? I know I have. I'm sure we all have at certain points in our life. Prayed in such deep anguish of soul because we truly are burdened about what is on our heart? Now, this is what we're supposed to do with our burdens. We're not meant to hold them in and act like we can handle them. We're meant to go to God with them. Now, here's what I want you to see in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 7. Turn there with me in your Bible. I want you to see it for yourself. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 7. This is coming right, on the, uh, right in the same context of what Peter just said about Satan being our adversary and how he seeks whom he's going to devour, that being Christians. But you look at 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7, and look at this. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, you look at what... Peter is saying to them. Peter knows that they have anxieties. He knows they have burdens. Any Christian persecution is going to have burdens to some degree. But you notice this, the first and right step in bringing our burdens to the Lord is what? Humility. Humility. 
Because it's pride that says, you know what, I can, I can bear this on my own. I can bear this as much as I can by my own self and my own power, right? It's pride that seeks to hang on to our burdens as if we've got them, right? But the truth is, we can't. How many of, how many of us have ever heard this saying, God will never give you more than you can bear? Anybody ever heard that saying? It's often quoted as if it's Bible, right? Well, let me let you in on a little secret. That ain't in the Bible. In fact, that statement is not true. It's not true. You say, well, why? If God only gave us what we could bear, we wouldn't have any need for him. We could bear it on our own. The truth is, is that God does give us greater burdens than we can bear because those burdens drive us to him. They show us how weak and pitiful we are. We think we're strong, but we are weak We are literally exalted dust, given breath by the God who made us. We have no strength. We have no power of our own. We can't even take a breath without God's power. It is Him who gives it to us. And so when we look at the burdens and things we experience in life, we must have His strength and help. And this is the invitation Peter says to them. This is what he's saying to them. Humble yourself before God, because He's God, you're not, so that you'll be exalted in due time. But in the same sentence, He says, casting, that's that's an ongoing thing, casting all your anxieties, your cares, your burdens on Him. Why does God want us to cast those on Him, bring them to Him? Because of that last statement, because He cares for you. And sometimes we may think that our burdens, well, you know what, it may, be if it's, it may even be small in your eye. You may think it's small among other things, but it's pretty big to you. It's still important to God because you're his child. and you, He cares for you in that kind of a way. Casting all your burdens, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That, that is one of the most comforting things we can ponder and meditate on. The fact that the infinite God cares for you and the burdens that you bear in your life as a Christian. That's his invitation. Jesus gave a similar invitation to the people in his day. In Matthew 10, 28, or excuse me, 11, 28 through 30, he says to them, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus Jesus looked out upon a crowd of people in his day that were burdened and heavy laden with the demands of law and religion that had been distorted and corrupted by the leadership, and and they were burdened by this. Not to mention the Roman power, and Jesus has come to me. I'm the one who can give rest. Why? Because he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He is Lord. He He is God. We think about us being heavy laden and anxious, burdened. Bring that to God in His power. Now look at with her prayer. You notice that also in verse 11, she makes a vow. She vows, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to him, give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. What's Hannah doing here? She's professing a commitment that if the Lord honors her and blesses her with a son... The Lord relieves this burden from her, of her barrenness. 
that son will be committed by her to the Lord for his purposes. Now, this was a common thing to do in that day and time. Hannah seems to be referencing the Nazarite vow of Numbers chapter 6, where people would make a special vow to separate themselves to the Lord for a time. That involved no razor coming over the head, uh, as, as well as no touching the dead and uh, eating from things with a grapevine, no going near dead things. Hannah mentions the razor here, which seems to imply that same vow uh, regardless. What this, what's this show us about Hannah? It shows us the faith and spiritual commitment that Hannah has towards the Lord. You say, God, give me this one son. Most people in this situation are like, I want this one son for myself. But what's Hannah say? Give me just one son and I'll give him back to you. I'll give him back to you. Well, we know how this goes, that this one son would be who? The prophet Samuel. The prophet Samuel would be a mighty and instrumental prophet in the, in the days of Israel, in the early establishing of the kings. But what we find with this is that Hannah has taken this heavy burden on her heart to the Lord, and that's the example for every believer to follow, as noted in other passages of Scripture. Our calling is to trust our burdens unto the Lord, take them to Him, and whatever becomes of it, whatever God's will is, we're to trust Him with that. And notice, notice what happens with this as a result of what Hannah did. Let her be. I want you to see that she gained God's peace through prayer. She gained peace through this. Now, beyond our immediate context, we come further down in verse 12 through verse 18. I'll read it for you. We see an exchange between Hannah and Eli there. The Bible says in verse 12, She continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved. And her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all long I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. You notice that Hannah is praying by speaking in her heart. That's one example of praying silently. Praying silently. So in other words, in prayer, you don't have to vocalize. You can be praying to the Lord in your thoughts, in your heart. Silently. That's a great way to pray. We have a God who hears those prayers that we offer that have no noise in our lips. I've always loved John Bunyan's quote here about prayer. He says, in prayer, it is better to have heart without words than words without heart. Because heart in prayer is what really matters to God. Jesus condemned just going through repetitions like the Pharisees. Every prayer we pray ought to be from our heart. So Hannah displays deep heart affection in her prayer to the Lord. We see this, how, how deep this is in her. In verse 15, notice how she describes herself through this praying process. She says to Eli, I am a woman troubled in spirit, and I have poured out my soul before the Lord. She's telling him what's, what's inside of her. She says in verse 16, And all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. 
So Eli seeks to comfort her and desires the Lord's favor on her. But notice the difference in Hannah. After she has prayed to the Lord in this vexation and burden, burden of heart, bringing it to him, in verse 18 we read that she went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. So there's an entirely different countenance about her, a different attitude about her here. Her appetite's back. She's ready to eat. And she no longer appears sad. Have you ever had such a session of prayer, as I'll say, where you were greatly burdened before, but after that session of prayer, you were greatly relieved after the time of prayer with God? That's how it should be when you pour your heart out into Him. Through this deep time of prayer, she gained God's peace and contentment. How? By giving her burden to the Lord's power and providence, taking it unto Him. This is the power of effectual prayer and trusting the Lord with our burdens, whatever they may be. We say, well, can we gain this kind of peace too? Absolutely. In fact, it's a great New Testament teaching of the Apostle Paul. I want you to see this in Philippians 4. I know you're very familiar with this passage of Scripture. But I want to read it to you afresh and point out a couple things about it. Philippians 4, let's look at verse 6 down through verse 7. You'll notice in this statement, you'll notice in verse 4 and 5, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And in this same sentence, the same segment of thought, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, notice the breakdown a little bit of what Paul says here. He first says, do not be anxious about anything. Well, I failed there. Anybody else surpass that with flying colors? We are easily anxious about many things. But Paul gives the counteraction to this. He says, but in everything, key word everything, note that, everything, not just some things, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now there's so much that we can expound from this in this one little text. But in short, let me show you a couple things. You'll notice that it is by prayer and supplication. Prayer and supplication is to be the response to our anxieties. That's the counteraction to the anxieties. Prayer and supplication. That's your petitions and your your coming to God. Regardless of whatever anxieties may be upon you, prayer and supplication is the response. But notice that connected to this response is something vital. He says, with prayer and supplication... We are to come with thanksgiving. That is so crucial and almost odd when you think about it. Because when we're anxious, we're so worried, we're not really thinking about thankfulness, are we? Regardless of whatever anxieties burden us, you still at that very moment in your anxious state have more to be thankful for to God than you can even fathom. You do. Thankfulness, understand this. Thankfulness is foundational to peace and contentment, even in anxiety. And with this, notice he says, 
prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, he says, let your requests be made known to God. Now, wait a minute. Why do I need to God, tell God anything? Doesn't God already know what those requests are? You ever thought about that? Why must we tell God our requests and our anxieties if he knows everything? Because prayer, understand this, is not about informing God or even changing God's will. Prayer is about drawing us to God and molding us to God's will. Now, we offer our requests and our anxieties, trusting them to the hand of God, knowing full well that He already knows them and has ordained them for our good and His glory. It may be that it's God's will to honor our requests. He has ordained and allowed this burden so that we pray to Him about it, and then He answers that prayer. That happens a lot. Sometimes we're burdened about something and pray to him about something that the answer is going to be no. He does that a lot too. In either case, our action of taking our request to God in prayer is crucial. Crucial to what he says in verse 7. It's essential to what he says in verse 7. There's no verse 7 without verse 6. And it's this, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you just pull verse 7 out of there like a popcorn, piece of popcorn, and say, see, every Christian is just going to have peace all the time, that would be called eisegesis. That's a technical term meaning you're just making the text say what you want it to say, not what it actually says. You've got to have verse 6 with verse 7. This prayer with our anxiety This bringing our request to God with thanksgiving. The result of this is verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, God's peace is a guardian given to us in Christ, experienced through prayer. You see, whether your anxiety is answered or whether maybe God says, no, this is going to be part of your life, you can still have the peace of God that passes all understanding in either of those circumstances because God's peace transcends those. And it's through prayer that we gain that peace and we understand and experience that peace and we get answers that help us with this peace. You see, because the opposite is true with our anxieties. Our anxieties, they rob us of peace that we should have when we hold on to them because anxiety is a disruptor of peace, isn't it? That's the whole point. Anxiety, you're worried, you're concerned. That's a disruptor to peace. That's why Paul says, with all of your anxieties, take them to God. And that's how you gain peace. I think it's Isaiah who says, perfect peace belongs to them who have their mind stayed on you. That's a paraphrase. Don't quote it verbatim, but Isaiah writes that. We have plenty of anxieties that come upon us in life. Every day brings with it its own burdens. Sometimes, though, we even cause more burdens on ourselves because we aren't fixed on Christ day by day and we're allowing them to compound on each other. John Newton said this. He said, I compare the troubles we have to undergo in the course of a year to a great bundle of sticks far too large for us to lift. But God does not require us to carry the whole at once. He mercifully unties the bundle and gives us first one stick while we are able to carry what, 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 which we are to carry today, and then another, which we are to carry tomorrow, and so on. 
This we might easily manage if we would only take the burden appointed us each day. But we choose to increase our troubles by carrying yesterday's stick over again to today and adding tomorrow's burden to our load before we are required to bear it. Every day is going to have its own measure of anxieties. A lot of times we let yesterday's hang over today and then we're already thinking about tomorrow's before we're even there. There's a reason Jesus said, Matthew 6, 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. you got enough trouble today, don't be worried about tomorrow's. And so Hannah finds comfort for her burden through prayer. She finds peace. Now understand that peace doesn't mean she never thought about wanting children again. It just means it's not plaguing her anymore. There's a difference. What do you think about what burdens you? Maybe even tonight, you burdened about something regarding your health, your family, someone you love, maybe the spiritual state of someone, maybe a sorrow you've experienced, maybe it's something in your marriage, maybe it's the economy and the nation, you're afraid it's all going to collapse, maybe you're burdened about all sorts of things. There's an untold number of things we can be burdened about, but with every single one of them, we must do the same thing. It's what Paul says in Philippians. We must take them to the Lord and find peace in Christ with those burdens. Number three, and lastly, I'll be done. We see the conclusion to Hannah's burden. Very, very plainly, God answered her prayer in his providence. You look at verse 19 through verse 20. And look at what he says, what it says. The Bible says, They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. They went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. What stuck out to me in that little phrase, in that little passage, is in due time. In due time, the Lord answered her prayer. Sometimes we pray and pray and pray for months, maybe even years, and then finally the Lord does answer that prayer. There's a reason it was still on your heart. That also shows us the necessity for persistence in prayer. The beautiful picture in this account is God's providence. And when Hannah took it to the Lord, we see her prayer was answered. Our God is a God who answers prayer. and He delights to answer prayer. But we also have to remember that if in God's wisdom He chooses not to answer our prayer, we must leave that in His hands, trusting His will. But notice with the letter B, not only do you see that God answered her prayer in His providence, Hannah fulfilled her promise with praise. Hannah had made a vow to the Lord would, to give this son to him. Would she fulfill that? Absolutely she would. You go down and read verse 24 down through verse 28. I won't for time's sake, but you'll notice in verse 27, he says, for this, she says, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he has lent to the Lord. She fulfills that promise. What I love about Hannah here is that she gives a great exhortation of praise, another prayer of praise, and Chapter 2, verse 1 down through verse 10. Allow me to read it. I know we're close to time, but let me read it to you. Notice the praise of her heart. Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows 
of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren have borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills, the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor, He makes rich. He brings low and exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them He will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give to his king and exalted the horn of his anointed. All through that prayer, she recognizes the mighty might of God, his providence, his sovereignty, and she has experienced that in her own life with the burden she had about bearing children. So as you glean through that text, you see a lot of parallels and principles that we need to apply in our own life. We're all burdened with various things, but we need to cast those burdens on the Lord. Take them to Him, trust Him with them, find peace in Christ, and know that God is always good in His sovereign purposes and ways in our life, no matter what they may be. So I pray that study has blessed us tonight and been an encouragement, and maybe we can apply that to our life here this evening.